0: Well, this morning we draw to a close our study in the book of James. I hope you've enjoyed Bonnie's favorite book and benefited from it as much as I have. You know, Jesus' half-brother had a lot to say to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. And, of course, since we have been grafted into the tribe of Israel, And made heirs of the promises of Abraham, what he had to say speaks to us. And what he had to say is anything but a straw epistle, as Martin Luther opined. It's a powerful letter that convicts us of what it really means to have faith. And contrary to a common misconception about the nature of the letter, It's not a New Testament book of Proverbs, a collection of disconnected teachings. It's a unified book that covers some very important topics and does so in considerable detail. Now, I do have to admit that at first glance, it does appear that James concludes his letter with a quick mention of several things that are not all related to the primary messages of his epistle. He mentions swearing, suffering, praying, singing, sickness, anointing, forgiveness, confession, Elijah, and restoring someone who has strayed from the truth. But he begins verse 12 with, but above all. So there must be a connection with what went before it or what will follow or both. And if we look for it, I do think we can see how the closing comments are tied to a primary theme we discovered back in the first chapter, a theme of endurance. After his greeting, he began his letter with these words, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." And then the verses that lead up to our text for today speak of suffering, patience, and endurance. In fact, verse 11 says, Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful." If we hold on to the thought of endurance while reading the concluding verses of James' letter and consciously look for a connection, I think we can actually find in the final verses the keys to endurance. And those keys are expression, confession, supplication, and restoration. We begin with expression. James chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, but above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. James begins by basically restating what Jesus had to say in the Sermon on the Mount about oath-making. And when Jesus said it, he was addressing the Jewish practice of assuring the truthfulness of a statement by adding to it an oath, by swearing it to be true. Now, in and of itself, swearing something to be true is not wrong. Even God did so when addressing his people in the Old Testament. Jews, however, had become masters of deceit by using carefully crafted oaths that were intended to give the impression of assuring something to be true while actually deceiving their mark. They were, in essence, crossing their fingers behind their back. To counter that problem, Jesus said they should simply let their yes be yes and their no no and that to add anything more was opening the door to evil. Now, some have suggested that this had become a problem in the primarily Jewish church that James was addressing, and that's why he interjected this statement into his letter. I think there's more to it than that. And if we look for a connection to the theme of endurance, I think we can find it. You know, James was addressing the oppressed when he wrote, Be patient and do not complain. He's still addressing them when he writes, But above all, my brethren, do not swear. And when oppressed, it is easy to react by swearing, by using profanity there's more to swearing than using profanity. And James has already warned us about the destructive nature of an untamed tongue. The primary focus here may very well be that of profaning the name of God, the one in heaven, by using his name to affirm feelings of oppression. You know, as God is my witness, I can't take this anymore. Or worse, to express a determination to get even, to make someone pay for what's been done to you. By God, I'm going to get you for that. Rather than express our frustration and the pain of being oppressed through swearing, James says we should do it through prayer. (laughs) Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Instead of using God's name in a profane way to convince others that we are in pain or want to get even, we should call out his name in prayer. And feelings should be expressed. It's not healthy or productive to keep our pain bottled up and pretend everything is okay when it's not. We should express our frustration and hurt and pain when oppressed we should express it in prayer. And when we're not feeling oppressed, when we are cheerful, we should express that as well. We should express it by singing praises. Now, that's not to say we should only pray when suffering and sing only when cheerful. We should do both, no matter the circumstances. We can and should express through song and prayer whatever we're feeling to our Heavenly Father, but singing on the mountaintop does help prepare us to walk with Him through the valley. I think the first key to endurance is expression. The second is confession. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. Now, these verses are often used to teach how the church should minister to the sick. But if that were James' intention here, he leaves us with more questions than answers. And the first has to do with the use of oil by the elders. You know, if anointing with oil in the name of the Lord is an essential part of praying for the sick, we would surely see it used elsewhere in the New Testament, but we don't. This is the only place it's mentioned. And then we should note that the word James used for anoint is a general term, not the one that specifically refers to sacred and ceremonial anointing. That opens the door to other reasons for the anointing. Since it was a general term, Used to refer to medicinal as well as ceremonial uses, it's possible that James is simply instructing the elders to be sure they minister to the physical needs as well as the spiritual needs of those calling for prayer. If that's the case, James could be encouraging elders to see to it that the sick get the medical treatment they need in addition to the prayer, the requesting. But even that's getting a bit ahead of ourselves because the word James uses for sick is not the word that was generally used to refer to a condition brought on by disease. It's a word that simply means without strength or to be weak or feeble. If we keep this in the context of suffering and endurance, It can primarily refer to someone who's having a really hard time. If that's the case, the elders are perhaps being told to anoint someone coming for help as a reminder that they have been spiritually anointed, set apart by God, and belong to Him. Once that's affirmed, a prayer can be offered in faith. Trusting that God knows what's going on in the life of the one who belongs to him and trusting that he will make everything right at his coming, if not before. That assurance can obviously restore the one who is weary, and that's the word translated sick in verse 15. That's what it literally means. It's not the same word that was translated sick in verse 14. It's a word that means to be weary, physically and spiritually worn out. The one who is weary calls for the elders, and they reassure him that he belongs to God and that God will take care of him. God will raise him up, and he will forgive him for responding sinfully while doubting his love and provision in an order for this healing to take place, it is essential that the one going through hard time confesses it and that he seeks help from the shepherds God has given him. When the shepherds then minister to him and pray for him, he will be healed. He will be made whole again, which is what the word here translated healed literally means. Indeed, the second key to endurance is confession, acknowledging our need and seeking help. The third is supplication. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Now James has already said, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Now he assures us that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And when speaking of a righteous man, James is not suggesting that it's only because a prayer for healing was offered by an elder of the church that God heard it. Every child of God has been made righteous by the blood of Christ. So there's no need to search out someone who you think may have more pull with God to pray for you. That's not to say you shouldn't go to someone you think may be more mature in the faith and have a better understanding of the will of God for you and ask them to pray with you and for you. That's okay. Feel free to invite others to pray with you, but never assume that you have to find someone who's more righteous than you to pray. You can do it. And of course, James has already told us that in order for our prayers to be effective, our motives must be right. We will not get what we ask for if our primary objective is to simply get what we want. An effective prayer is one that is offered in full surrender to the will of God. It's not a selfish prayer. Even a prayer for healing can be selfish. An effective prayer is not one that makes demands on God. And it's also one that's based on the Word of God. You know, if God has said He will do something, if we ask Him to, He will do it. That was the key to Elijah's success in prayer. You know, he didn't just come up with the idea that it shouldn't rain for three years and six months and then pray that God would do it. God had told him he was going to withhold the rain and that he should use that as a lesson for Ahab. So Elijah announced the drought and then prayed earnestly that God would do what he said he would do and, of course, God did it. Then when God said it was time for the drought to end, Elijah announced it. And then he started praying and looking to the sky, waiting for the clouds to appear. God always honors the effective prayer of a righteous man. So when we are undergoing stressful times, we come before our Heavenly Father clothed in the righteousness of His Son, and we pray in faith, trusting that He will do what He's promised to do and that He will accomplish His will for us, through the situation we're facing. That's the third key to endurance. The final key is restoration. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know, we don't always endure under oppression, even with expression when we say how we feel and confession when we acknowledge how we feel and we're praying, we still sometimes lose it. We give up and we stray from the truth that we know in our heads but have lost sight of in our hearts. In those times, we need our brothers and sisters to step in and lead us to restoration. Now, many Christians today have been taught that it's impossible for a true believer to ever stray from the truth to the extent that they're in danger of recondemning their soul to death. They've been taught that once a person comes to Christ, They are unconditionally, eternally secure in their salvation. Once saved, always saved. Once in grace, always in grace. But when James here speaks of a sinner who needs to be saved, he's talking about one of their number who has strayed from the truth. He's talking about a fellow believer, a brother or sister in Christ who has turned their back on the truth of God. Now is not the time for a study on the possibility of apostasy, falling away from the faith. But let me simply state that according to Robert Shank, in his definitive study of the doctrine of perseverance, life in the Son*, there are 85 passages of scripture that establish the doctrine of conditional security. The warnings against falling away are not hypothetical. They are real. It is possible to so stray from the truth that you no longer trust in Christ to save you and thereby lose your salvation. It's not that he will give up on you. It's that you may give up on him. That is dangerous and that can happen. If it should ever happen to you, pray that you have a brother or sister who will love you enough to confront you with your sin, and pray that you will not have strayed so far from the truth that you cannot be turned back from the error of your ways. The ministry of restoration is the final key to endurance. It's vital to know that even if we fail, if expression, confession, and supplication don't give us the strength to endure, restoration is still possible. It's not easy to maintain a walk of faith, it's not easy to endure in the face of opposition. But through the grace of God and the ministry of the church, it is possible. In this little letter, James has challenged us to prove the character of our faith. And he has taught us how to do it. The ball is now in our court. Will we trust in Christ and will we obey his word? Through his grace and forgiveness, it is possible to do both. But we must still commit ourselves to doing so. For as James so aptly said, faith without works is useless. Let's trust him. Let's obey him. Let's put into practice what we believe. For only then is it confirmed that we actually believe it. I thank God for James' little book. I pray you'll make it a regular part of your scripture reading. Put into practice what you believe, or it makes no difference what you believe. Trust.